0: Welcome, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Black Robes, White Justice. Today, we have a phenomenal, a phenomenal assembly of women who are doing just mind-boggling things. um, And I'm going to introduce them momentarily. But today, our topic of conversation is going to be something that is currently trending and also something that uh, disproportionately impacts a particular segment of our demographic that we don't necessarily hear much about, which is women who have been impacted by our criminal justice system. We are joined by Sarah Cruzen, way out in sunny California, who is not necessarily experiencing the uh, very cold weather that we are experiencing on the uh, East Coast. Hello, Sarah.
1: Hello. <laughs> Hi.
0: Uh, we are also uh, we are also joined by Miss Raisha Bivens, who is over on the East Coast with me, experiencing a little bit of a cold weather. Hello, Raisha. Hi. Hey, and we are also uh, experienced, uh, we are also uh, joined in uh, by Kayla Gerties. Uh, did I spell um, pronounce your last name right, uh, yeah. Kayla? Yeah. And, Kay- and Kayla, from what I understand uh, through social media, is actually out in sunny Florida right now. So we have the, we have the benefit of uh, having her join, uh, joining us from uh, actually uh, in, in Florida. She kind of like es- escaped the weather from New York City. Uh, great to have all of you ladies uh, joining us today. Thank
2: you for yeah. having me.
1: Thank you. Yeah, thank you.
0: Great to have you guys on. So we're going to just uh, delve right into our topic of conversation today. Uh, I want to start with Kayla. Um, I want to have you introduce yourself. I want to have you talk about uh, just very briefly some of the things that you are doing as it relates to your current posture in criminal justice reform. I know that you you have your hands in a lot of things actually uh, out in New York City. So if you could just give us a brief introduction of who you are, what your story is, and uh, where you currently are postured.
2: Absolutely. Well, I am a formerly incarcerated woman who, at the age of 18, went to prison. And, you know, I spent five and a half years in prison. And through that experience, I actually was able to internalize and understand how the what what I went through and and the outcome was not actually something unique. It was very uh, systemic. And it it derived from multiple failed systems that failed me from the very beginning of when I was a a toddler, you know, how our communities deal with people when they're molested or when they're acting out in ways that are seen as bad instead of um, helping to come in and help to relieve or prevent things from getting worse and prevent traumas from, you know, exploding into destructive behaviors they tend to uh-huh. just actually promote that in ways that are very you know destructive so sure. while I was in prison I I, I I, was able to identify all that and understood so much of the fact that like you know what what you and I both know from hearing Glenn Martin say those who are the problem are the solution um that that became like an echoing in my mind that you know what um I need to use this story because like I said I began with you know the the trauma from childhood and, and realize how it progressively led to things that were so destructive and things that I had to own and say, you know what? Yes. Like I perpetrated in my own way what, by being destructive in society. And, you know, one of the things that I have to own is that what led me to prison is I got into a car accident because I was high on drugs and I killed an innocent person. You know, so the, the, the collateral damage of, um, you know, the system really failing to intervene on multiple levels, And so many times led Mm -hmm. me to criminal justice reform. When I came home, I said, you know what? I'm going to educate myself, which I did in prison. Mm -hmm. And I took that education and that experience and came home and was just determined to tell that story. But what I didn't realize was the post-incarceration syndrome and how my experiences of trauma, even inside, would impact coming home and, and, and the struggle while being inside of the criminal justice reform movement, which is, 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 huge. Sure. We're in a national platform and we're on so many platforms that overlap and, you know, so much wonderful work is happening. And I've been, you know, blessed to have my story be really exposed and to speak in platforms and in places that, you know, Columbia university, uh, just all over, um, <clears> even <throat> in California doing work and sitting at, you know what, I, I lived through that. So I could speak on it from a perspective that, Yes, other people have the education and the knowledge, but there's some internal things that people don't know because they're getting the way that the system wants to tell it so that they can get the, the stamp of approval and, and as a way to continue to, you know, oppress people so they get that version. But no, understand the version of those impacted so we can actually come up with solutions that are going to help to, you know, be progressive and humane.
0: Perfect. So let me, let me, let me have, let me have Sarah just jump in right now because it sounds like you know there's, there's a little bit of overlap uh, with what you described in Sarah's experience and what Sarah's doing. So I would, Sarah, I want to have you jump in and I want to have you talk about uh, just very briefly, if you can, you know, just about your experience where you are uh, and what you are currently involved in out in uh, the state of great state of California. So
1: currently I am, uh, my job, you know, is, um, Program coordinator with an organization known as Healing Dialogue in Action. And so basically, we work directly with um, victims of violent crimes, direct <laughs> service, and we also work with individuals who are in, um, incarcerated in the state of California.
0: Mm -hmm. And you've, you've, I'm I'm sorry, uh, you've personally been impacted by the criminal justice system as well. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely. I was arrested um, back in 1994, for killing the George Howard who sexually trafficked me. Um, Mm -hmm. And the indoctrination process started when I was 11. And at the time, there weren't any laws to protect victims of um, child sex trafficking.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: My case was able to raise awareness on that on a national, international level. And so... You know, I think that it's very important that, that we're having this conversation to see how we can best offer up services for those who have been directly impacted by trauma.
0: Sure, and Rahisha, um, and I know that you haven't necessarily uh, uh, been directly impacted by the criminal justice system. However, uh, you there's someone in your family um, who's been uh, directly impacted by the criminal justice system. You want to talk about what your experience as is relates to uh, that, and how it has actually inter- impacted uh, your current lens, and you know the work that you are doing as it relates to. Uh, um, being a voice of of advocacy for those who have uh, mental health disorders uh, and the likes thereof.
3: Yeah, sure. Yeah.
0: Um.
3: So yeah, my name is Raisha, and I could parallel a lot of the things that Kayla actually talked about um, in her own story. So in August of uh, 2017, my 26 year old brother, who was diagnosed, who is diagnosed with schizophrenia, and nearing the end of his probation. Um, was incarcerated um, and is, you know, is actually being charged with a felony crime. And uh, through the process of that happening, um, my eyes got awakened to not only just his story and the disheartening nature of our system, but Mm -hmm. the thousands of people, you know, in the state of Connecticut that actually are incarcerated that have a mental health issue. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, I look at, like, so what I'm advocating for for my brother is that he go to a trial setting, um, a treatment setting for people with mental illness. And I was very shocked um, and surprised that there aren't many alternatives to incarceration for people with mental illness. Um, just,
0: so You're my-
3: Connecticut, yeah here, in the state of Connecticut. yeah, here in the state of Connecticut and um you know my background I I have my masters in social work and I worked in that field for 11 years so obviously incarceration for anybody um has psychological effects and there's a big impact but uh for someone who's has such a serious mental illness I was very su- surprised to find that there aren't uh, many alternatives and that in fact um much of the prison population are incarcerated um, and they haven't been convicted of a crime, and that is the case with my brother. He's been incarcerated since August, and um, he hasn't had a trial yet. So, not
0: only, and, and just just allow me to jump in for a second. But not only has he had he not only has he not had a trial yet, but he hasn't even had the you know adequate and also the uh, effective mental health evaluation so that he could receive the proper pretrial treatment. Um, so, uh, you know, he can, he can be treated, uh, uh appropriately and, and properly as well. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, that, that is correct. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely grateful. He is in a prison called Garner, which does have a mental health unit, but the truth of the matter is they, they don't get a lot of mental health services in another setting.
0: Sure. So uh, I want to I want to uh, kind of bring Sarah loop Sarah in back in on, on, on a conversation, Sarah. So let's let's switch gears and let's talk about what is it like for a woman? What is it like for a female to actually be incarcerated? You know, particularly, you know, for the length of time that you were incarcerated. Uh, what, what is that like? What is it like from a physical point of view? What is it like from an emotional point of view? If you can just talk about your experience, just being in a cell, being having a um, you know a, a Department of Corrections issued uh, inmate number. What is that? What is that like? Because, to my understanding, you weren't a mother at the time. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. I that was an adolescent, and um, so an adolescent with extreme layers of complex trauma that went unidentified and unassessed through the the justice system. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was handed down a life without parole plus five-year sentence um, as an adolescent, and the impact of that didn't even settle in.
0: What did that do to you? when you stood in front of a judge? When you stood in front of a judge, and you were, and you you stood in front of a judge, obviously haven't been a defendant, but you know, as as. Uh, 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 story would unfold that ultimately you were a victim, right? So what does that do to you when you stand in front of a judge and a judge adjudicates a sentence of life plus five years? What does that do to your psyche? How does that impact your heart? Like, Tell me what your mindset was when you stood in front of, uh, 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 in a courtroom, having been evicted, having been uh, re-victimized and sentenced to an indefinite term of imprisonment.
1: So here's the interesting piece, right? I didn't realize I was a victim, be- you know, because there wasn't really anybody of authority that actually identified me as a victim. I was just a criminal. I was demonized. I was, you mm. know, this individual that didn't have a space to own wow. being wow. a victim. Mm-hmm. And it mm. wasn't until, honestly, my, the, my job was able to embrace the fact that I truly was a victim.
0: No. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. Right. So, so, so Kayla, let let's, let's, you know, I want to bring you in on this conversation as well, because you and Sarah, you both you guys have lived experiences as it relates to having been incarcerated as it relates to, you know, standing up for counts, so on and so forth. How did, how did, how did being incarcerated impact you personally?
2: Well, I just want to also attest and confirm like to, to that statement of not being able to be a victim because of being um so, um, you know, demonized and having media, a media sensationalized case where, you know, people are so um focused on the, you know, what you did to the, what brought you there, but they fail to acknowledge, okay, you were once a victim. And I think that one of the most liberating things is um being able to, to say, you know what, I was a victim and now I'm an over, you know, now I'm a survivor and an overcomer, but wow. that's, that's a sidebar. Mm -hmm. but um being in prison for me honestly it was literally like just preparing for me like to where i am right now so even though the conditions are horrible and the things that i could talk about that i've seen um i'm definitely traumatized forever beyond that but you know i don't that trauma has given me just the ability to to overcome anything Mm -hmm. so i don't think that it was the the place that did that but i think it's just the the a person that has always been abused their whole entire lives once you go to prison it's kind of like that place that helps you to make it you know in your own mind like you're 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 away from all that it's like very weird you know and i don't want i'm not trying to glorify prison at all but after being in so many situations that were mentally imprisoning once i found myself physically imprisoned i was able to step back and take a look at how all of this is connected and realize even more so how you know all of these things led me up to there so it it, for me it really it did something powerful to me but the things that I I saw have led me to just want to fight for people still inside because it's terrible like imagine you know I always think about like imagine that i was able to reach out to someone and say hey this is what's going on and someone would actually fight for what's going on you know we didn't have that in there there were there was days that we didn't eat there was there's times officers told us you know um you're not getting a, a pad use use a use a piece of bread you know just hmm. a, the inhumanity um
0: and when you say and when, and when you say pad you mean you talking about sanitary napkins
2: sanitary pad yes okay um, All right. so you know just things like that of just watching people degrade you and 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 get get a kick out of you You get to see uh human resilience and what it is for women to come together as a community and to to hold it down you know i think the experiences are very different from a man and a woman um of being inside of a prison because the violence inside of a woman's prison is a lot more emotional Hmm. Uh, you know they can get broken down in a different type of way as opposed to you know, am um, just having to be militant and on point for like physical violence for men. Um <laughs> for women, like it's really, you know, you're either gonna like break emotionally or or just be like built together emotionally and it becomes kind of like a sisterhood of like all of us like having to fight and having to really realize that like this is the place that's making me into like a warrior. You know, it's kind of like the 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 it's like the the preparation because then you come out here and you know, especially when you, you want to advocate and you want to use this pain for, you know, a purpose in, to change the system, you know, it becomes a very different experience depend, depending on the lens.
0: You so let me, let me... Allow me to keep uh, Araisha and uh in and you talked about you know wanting to have someone out there by whom you can reach out to to say hey listen this is what's going on and I need someone to amplify this issue because I feel as though that because I'm sitting in a prison cell and because you know I'm stigmatized my voice is muted or you know my situation is a my the, the the conditions by which I am sitting in sitting in happens to be eclipsed by my current situation. So Rahisha, so when you talk to when you talk to your brother, uh mm-hmm. and you know, when he's talking to you about, you know, just the things that he's going through, is is your advocacy propelled specifically by your brother or do you want to be able to bring about a change for the system for individuals who are going to be in a situation similar to how your brother is currently setting?
3: Yeah, well it's it's actually both. I mean, I would I wouldn't I would I would not be as connected to this issue if my brother wasn't dealing with it. But having my brother deal with it awakened me to how many people are impacted by it. And so ultimately I wanna make a change in our system, not just for my brother, but for all people that um are impacted by it. You know, specifically for people who have mental health issues and
0: are Mm -hmm. dealing
3: with criminal justice issues and there's a whole lot even on the preventative side that i could see you know like (laughs) the day my brother was the day before he was arrested for this alleged incident you know he didn't go to his appointment he had used up all his anxiety medications Mm. and missed his appointment at the department of mental health so clearly something was was happening that was making him more anxious
0: right Um, right
3: you know and it's all linked
0: right Um, definitely. yeah. So, so Sarah, so so one of the things that that you said that was um, I, I find astounding is that you didn't necessarily realize that you were a victim until you were released, and and I, I, I find that very not only just astounding but fascinating because you had the the a uh, large degree of support from the public as it relates to uh, you know you had celebrities who. Uh, who advocated for, you know, a clemency and the the likes thereof. How was it that you could be incarcerated? How is it that a system by, you know, by theory is supposed to have mental health um, providers uh, inside? They are supposed to have these uh, internal systems of system place so that you can program and, you know, actually have, you know, victim advocate and so on and so forth. How is it that you don't come to that epiphany until you are actually released from incarceration?
1: For me, it was basically that I heard that I was a victim. Applying it and embracing that and owning that are two different um, processes. So I heard it, but I wasn't able to apply it and own it and there weren't anybody in authority telling me that I was a victim and that I had rights. And and the fact that every day that I worked and I had to pay off victims' rights restitution of, of $10,000 that I owed wow. from the court, to me, again, just totally went against what I'm hearing, right? Because my reality was showing, again, I'm, I'm not a victim. Mm-hmm. Sure, and there aren't sure. any victim advocates there at all. Sure,
0: sure, sure, sure. So, you guys have have actually, you know, I think that you have cracked the can on something that is that is currently trending uh, in, our, in, our, in, our, in our in our in our culture as it relates to this Me Too movement. And I, I just want to get you, you get all of you uh, to speak on what you're. How effective do you think that this that this campaign is? Do you think that is it is a moment? that exists in our current time or do you think that it is movement that is going to stand outside of you know something that's currently trending uh, on our social media and in our news cycles and, and we'll actually begin with uh, Rahisha oh okay
3: <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm like don't call on me because I have been checked out to this movement no that's not the right answer so no I don't think it's a moment I, I think that it, there's definitely a cultural shift happening um, and I think that what the Me Too movement is doing is giving women to permission to actually speak about things that we may have shoved down or accepted or just said let bygones be bygones and why is that important? It's so that when young girls are coming up and they know something happened um, they're going to speak up and they're not going to hold that trauma and, and, hope, and on the flip side with men I think Um, I mean, I've seen varying reactions from men. I've seen men and even women like look at it like, oh, but how do we know they're telling the truth? And, you know, maybe they're doing it for attention. But I think on the flip side, hopefully one of the results of the movement is that men actually are going to become more sensitized and aware of the behavior that they have that's not that's not appropriate and actually has consequences because so often because that behavior has been normalized in our culture as just men doing what they do um men continue to pe- perpetuate it so i don't think that it's it's a brief moment i think that it is definitely already starting to create um a cultural shift and a lot of people are having to deal with and confront uh, their actions
0: Sure, Sarah. I'm interested, definitely, in in, in what your notion is uh, on on the Me Too movement.
1: My, I have a very strong opinion about it, and I think it's it's rather it's not necessarily male, female, non gender conforming. I think it's just a human issue, and I feel that it it has a lot to do with the the socially diseased nucleus that we have in our culture, and it's not it's going to take as many years as it took to cultivate this. This hierarchy um, for individuals to feel dominating um, it's going to I think take just as much or if not more to peel away the layers of this onion that is very painful so I feel that is there's accountability factor and a responsibility factor and a humanity and dignity factor that Mm -hmm. needs to be the main intentional focus for us as individuals and human beings to actually want to see that change and shift and to get rid of a sense of judgment based on what our social beliefs or views may be.
0: Cool. Kayla, last words.
2: So I feel very strongly about this, um, mainly because I can relate so much with many of the stories and you know the the way that I can say me too but I believe that we have to take things a step further and as you know a person who is fighting for you know revolutionary changes and and how we deal with people when they make mistakes I think that this is opportunity to become about restorative justice because while we can hold men accountable and I believe that telling women exposing this and really showing the, the traumas and the impacts of how these behaviors have damaged us and, and destroyed us in some sort of ways, um, that also we, instead of casting men out of society and saying, like, you did this and now I'm putting you on blast and, you know, you're, you're cast out, how do we go about correcting people and holding them accountable without condemning them with saying, like, what is the root of this? How do we as a society come together and the women that have been in these situations, how do we give them a platform to hold these men accountable while healing, Hmm. you know, and while being, you know, about coming together and, and really identifying how this is something that individuals go through, but this is affecting society. How do we do this in a way and change behavior so that we can unite more and really, come up with like values and and reteaching you know things and and teaching our young men how to treat women and and just you know i i believe this is just for me restorative justice is so much of you know what i'm thinking about when i think of this and i'm putting together some events actually right now about restorative justice because you know the me too movement the the men that are guilty of this it's no different than you know me who was hold that person accountable and then have them hold themselves accountable in a way that is you know going to be progressive for our community.
0: Sure. And 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 uh I think that what kind of like summarizes that uh, is something that my pastor would say. Uh oftentimes we deal with the fruit of the thing and not necessarily the root of the thing. Uh Rahisha, how, does, how do, if people want to connect with you, if they want to advance what it is that you're doing out in Connecticut, how, if they wanted to be able to amplify your voice, uh, how is it that they can connect with you? Are you on social media? Do you have a specific website? Um, you know, uh, how, how, how do people connect with you just to be able to lend uh, their resources and their influence to what it is that you want to uh, propel uh, in the state of Connecticut?
3: Um, yeah. So right now, you can find me on my Instagram um, at it's it's Rara ra, um, or Facebook as well as the two platforms that I use. Fi- Facebook, you can find me at uh, just my first and last name, Raisha Bivens. And um, I will be starting a website in the near future, uh, but for now, those are the two platforms.
0: Perfect. Sarah, Ms. Sarah Cruzan, how can uh, the listeners get in contact with you? And if they wanted to, you know, lend their resources to what it is that you are doing, how can how can they uh, contact you?
1: Just directly through my, um, my email with iCloud, which is my name, S-A-R-A, the initial J is in just me. And my last name, Cruzon K-R-U-Z-A-N as in Nancy, at iCloud.com.
0: I like the way that you said that cruise on So it almost had like a, <laughs> a level of sophistication. To it. <laughs> <laughs> Kayla, how can, how can, uh, how can our audience uh, get in contact with you?
2: I would say the best way is through Facebook or my email. And my Facebook is Kayla, K-A-Y-L-A, regardless G-E-R-D-E-S. And my email is M-S, like Miss KG1109 at gmail.com. But also, um, you know, Looking into the National Council, the other women that are doing a lot of what I'm doing. So the council dot at wait the council dot us.
0: Perfect. No, no, good. I don't. I don't. I want you to finish. No, no, no. That was yeah. Okay. So so, ladies and gentlemen, thank you guys For tuning in to this episode of uh, uh, Black Groups by Justice I'm your host Lewis L. Reed and as always You can find me on Twitter at Lewis L. Reed I'm also on Instagram at he inspires The number Four real and if you are Young enough to be on Snapchat you can also find me On Snapchat at he inspires the number Four real. This is what it is man We got three powerful women who are actually Doing phenomenal things Individuals who have not only just been impacted By the criminal justice system but Who are trying to change the paradigm and being a voice of amplification for those who are currently silenced thank you ladies thank you sarah thank you kayla thank you rahisha for being on this broadcast until next time peace